A welcome to prefer not to. Weekly, sometime cocktail hour. Always cocktail hour. We're your hosts, Josh Lucas and Kate Matthews. As always, I am not Kate. I'm not Josh Lucas. And that is a good thing, because (laughs) I don't think the world can take two of us. Well. It barely tolerates one. Yeah. Every week, Kate and I have a cocktail and watch a movie, sit down and rate them both, and talk about anything else that floats through the transom and send you home all in less than an hour. Hey, Kate, what are we drinking and watching this week? <laughs> we are drinking Fuzzy Navels, mm-hmm. and we watched Burnt Offerings from 1976. All right. Tell me about the Fuzzy Navel. What's in that? The Fuzzy Navel is one part orange juice and one part peach schnapps, or equal parts of both. Essentially, it just has to be equal parts of both, so you want to keep that ratio together. It can also be made with lemonade, depending on your personal taste. And if you happen to make it with vodka, that makes it a hairy navel, not just a fuzzy navel. Is that some sort of comment on Russians being hirsute? Um, You know, I'm not sure. I, well, I think the hairy part actually refers to the amount of alcohol, because schnapps has much lower alcohol content than vodka, so you would get drunker faster. That's less racist. Um, I mean, the fuzzy part refers to the peach, because right. the peach is fuzzy. And then the navel refers to the orange. Because they're navel orange. Well, I didn't. I always thought it was a reference to a belly button. So, I mean, when I was well, growing up, the orange is a navel orange because it has a navel. Right, but I always thought a fuzzy navel. They were talking about like right, like L- a uh, happy trail lint. Yeah, In no, your... more like a happy trail. But really, yeah. Do you get a lot of uh, navel lint? I hate navel lint. I don't get much navel lint. Oh, thank you're God. Lucky lady. So that's the recipe. Before we go along with the story, I have to do as always our standard disclaimers. First. Neither Kate nor I is a cocktail expert, mm-hmm. and we will probably do very, very improper things to your favorite beverage at some point <laughs> oh. during the course of making this show. It's not done out of malice, it's only done out of ignorance, and we hope you accompany us on this journey of discovery. Second, alcoholism is a serious disease, like rabies or toxoplasmosis. If you had either of those, you'd go see a physician, and you should do that too if you have alcoholism. Picked rabies and toxoplasmosis because I felt like I had to cover dogs and cats. That's what I was about to ask you if it was this, this was an animal themed. Well, it's week. rabies season, so that's why I mentioned uh, oh. rabies. Yeah, yeah, rabies is summer into early fall. Did not know that. What makes mm-hmm. it a summer? Well, you know, it's is a it bacteria. It's a virus. Oh, okay, rabies is a virus, and I don't know specifically why it's prevalent in. I guess certain temper- temperatures kill it off, and in, in or like uh, maybe there's more dogs and cats because they're getting friskier in the summer. Well, you get it from feeding on the carcass of an animal that's had it. Yeah. Uh, I believe, or being bitten. It's but, transmitted you know. through saliva. Right. Yes, it it uh, causes your throat to close up and you to have problems swallowing, and that's one of the only early indicators, but usually by that point, it becomes difficult to treat. It's a hard one to diagnose and a hard one to treat, at least in animals. So, mm-hmm. Sad. And toxoplasmosis mm-hmm. is a, a bacillus, not a bacillus, it's a, a, a protozoan, like an amoeba. Yeah. But uh, it's transmitted through a unique route from mice to cats to humans. So. And the interesting thing about the phenomenon of the uh, mouse is that science has studies have indicated that when the organism gets into mice, it changes their behavior in such a degree as to make them less cautious and uh, more likely to en- go out and, and encounter cats. Oh, um, so that they get eaten, and that 
the uh, the virus passes. It's down. not a virus. It's a. It's oh, a, I'm sorry. It's a bacillus spirit. Well, no, it's not. It's a. We just protozoa. It's a protozoa. Yes. And then it goes into the cats, and then the cats transmit it by the, uh, the fecal route uh, to so, humans. Here's a question. You know, you hear this is the disease that like this is why pregnant women can't scoop the cat box, right? right? Okay, so here's my question. If you know for a fact that your cat has never eaten a mouse because it's an indoor kitty, do you need to worry about that? You know I, what I mean? You know, I think, I mean, what do you, are you do you want to put more work on pregnant women's labs? They get this free out. Why are you trying to screw no, them I'm over? No, I'm just, I never knew that it was transmitted through mice to cats. I thought it was just something that was in cats' stomachs that, like, their poop was by nature uh, no. toxoplasmodic. Nope, nope, nope. nope. It's, oh, okay. uh, and well. but they've also done studies that in uh, people with toxoplasmosis, it will affect their behavior. But not cats. Uh, I don't think so with cats. Um, <laughs> not the middleman. It's just it's every other <laughs> organism it inhabits. <laughs> right. It's like baldness. <laughs> yeah. Really, it it skips generations. It skips I don't generation. know. I don't know about cats. Um, but how does it affect um the judgment of people? Like, what does it do? Well, let me I, hold on. I got to pull up my study here. Oh, and the, and the other reason they don't want pregnant women to do it is because it's it can be passed to the the baby. Well, yeah, I mean that goes without saying. Yeah. Um. Right. So, and and ordinarily you can just it's it doesn't kill you, but uh, the, the, in immunocompromised people like like an infant or other people, that's why it's dangerous. So. Oh, I learned all about those immunocompromised people, mm-hmm. like on Bates Motel, uh, like in hospitals, but also like on Bates Motel. Yes. It says here, because the parasite poses a particular threat to fetuses when it is contracted during pregnancy, uh, much of the global epidemiological data comes from seropositivity in tests of women of childbearing age. Uh, Here we go. Yeah. So news ladies, uh, news reports started calling it crazy cat lady syndrome (laughs) to explain why there were certain. It's. uh, Is it suggesting that people who have too many cats. It's playing on that cultural stereotype. Yeah. Okay. Um, there is limited uh, but interesting research into it affecting human behavior. I think mostly that's a fanciful, at least currently, uh, a fanciful explanation. Ah. Anyhow, if you had either of those diseases, you would go see a physician. And then they would shoot you behind the barn. <laughs> no. Although most, uh, hey, do, do get your rabies shot for your animals because most jurisdictions are very unforgiving when it comes to animals that bite people and have no clear papers of rabies vaccination because they want to stop that stuff. Yeah. And if your dog is out in the yard, even if it's in your fenced-in yard and it's playing with a dead raccoon, you don't know what that raccoon died of. You don't know if your dog's going to get rabies or not. You're going to have to take it behind the shed and shoot it. Right. Oh, is that what happened to, to Old Yeller? I wasn't talking. What? 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 Oh, you were talking about the... Uh, uh, old Yeller died of old age, right? That's why they call right. him Old Yeller? Exactly. Uh, like Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler. Yeah. Um, all right. So now that we've covered the seriousness of alcoholism in a really boring and pause-filled fashion... <laughs> Jesus Christ. I am not... Okay. Yeah. Why don't you tell us about the story behind the fuzzy navel? Uh, well, how does it taste? While Josh is sipping, I'll explain. Uh, so... Not great, oh, not great bomb. It tastes like tang. <laughs> and not the good kind. Oh, okay. So um, the fuzzy navel is part of the trend of new wave cocktails in the late 70s and 80s. Um, now, this is awful. It has a lot in common with the sex on the beach or the cosmopolitan. Uh, it was favored by young, young folks because it was very fruity and very easy to make. Apparently, the fuzzy navel was invented by Ray Foley 
who went on to found Bartender Magazine, which has been around for 32 years. He, uh, his own website says that his nickname is The Legend, so take that with a grain of salt. But apparently, the story goes that he was cutting an orange for a garnish for a patron when said patron said he could still smell the fuzz of the peach schnapps through the orange juice. I guess meaning that it was really strong. I guess. So, the, the peach schnapps is certainly strong in this one. Yeah, so, well, it's, it's equal parts. <laughs> so it might also have been, um, so he said he could still smell this fuzz, and then apparently Mr. Ray looked around and saw that the orange he was cutting up was a navel orange, thus fuzzy navel. It may also be from the Wagon Tongue Bar in Omaha, Nebraska, but most people point towards I think Mr. That's Foley's the first, story. I think that's the first drink we've ever <laughs> cited from Nebraska. By 1989, it had lost a lot of its popularity. It was very popular through the 80s. According to this article from the New York Times, which said this is actually an article from 1989 in July talking about the rise of the margarita in American mm-hmm. consciousness. It said liquor trends can be as inexplicable as fashion fads and as fleeting. The fuzzy navel, a syrupy concoction of vodka, orange juice, and peach-flavored schnapps, catapulted sales of fruit-flavored schnapps in the mid-1980s, but the drink went the way of the Harvey Wallbanger. Schnapp sales fizzled last year. We should do Harvey Wallbangers. We should we, do, find some movie from the 70s and do Harvey Wallbangers. Waiting for that first paycheck. All right. Yeah, because that's a lot of liquors. Got to get a galleon, a bottle of galleon. Yeah, doing Long Island iced teas, same same sort of thing. And my ties. And my ties, same sort of thing. Anything, any drink with like specialized liquor in it, it's really hard for me to justify. Mm-hmm. Well, eventually we'll have them sitting around, so you know it won't be as difficult. That's a good point. Yeah, one day we're going to have a giant bar, and it's going to have everything, mm-hmm. including liquors of elderflower. Mm-hmm. And then we can finally bring Old Yeller back. From that farm family that he's living with. Exactly. Mickey Rourke's farm family. Because he was so in to the liquors of elderflower. He was. Very Remember when he so. used to like get it, drink it, and then get tipsy and try and like toss it And a that's why he around. was foaming at the mouth. Yes. Yes. Because the we spirits send, of elderflower. We had to send him away. We did. It was problematic. So what do you think of it? Um, it's very sweet. It's really sweet. It's like something um, you would give a child if you wanted to get that child drunk and go to jail. I think it would taste better with vodka. I think the vodka would cut the sweetness. I think here's what you do. I think um, if you put vodka in mm-hmm. it and you put some tonic water in it and then you uh, took out the orange juice and peach schnapps <laughs> and maybe a little lime juice you put in there, it yes. would be a really refreshing beverage. That sounds wonderful, actually. Yeah. I might add some of our orange seltzer water to it during the break. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, it's our anniversary show, Kate. Is it already? It is. We've been doing this for a year. Oh, my gosh. I think we're better than we were. Oh, yeah. We have big plans for the coming up year. Don't we? I know, right? During the summer, the mind gets to thinking. <laughs> you said that like you have a case of like... The, uh, the, uh, the, the way, thinkings? No, the way that you said that you're like, during the summer, the mind has a way of thinking. You like just turn me into Fred Gwynn, which is like the third of your impressions. Third, you mean like the besides guy, Paul Lind and you mean Herman Munster? Yes, that wasn't that was not it was not oh it was. <sighs> Wait, so if that makes any sense. So Fred Gwynn sounds like he has a lozenge stuck in his throat. No, Fred Gwynn is like whoa. <laughs> I have a lozenge stuck in my throat. Well, that's how we, no, that that's not, not how what he, he sounds at all. Well, sometimes dad is about now I can't do it. I'm put I've been put on the spot. You do it all the time walking around the house and I do. now you feel Um <laughs> I'll work on it. <clears throat> yeah. Next year next anniversary show? You're gonna have Fred Gwynn mastered. 
Sometimes dead is better. It's, is that better? Know, no. No. Okay. No. Anyway. Harvard graduate. That's the second time I've mentioned this on this show. Because I think it's hilarious. Podcast favorite, Fred I think Gwynn. it's hilarious that Herman Munster is a Harvard graduate. <laughs> Boss Hogg, Yale graduate. Yeah. Natalie Portman. Uh, Natalie Portman. Padme, Harvard graduate. My school has uh, my girl. Yeah. We got to watch Veep. Yeah. It gets a lot of good. I watched the first few episodes and I didn't like it, but I think it, got, it picked up momentum. Well, yeah. And we love the thick of it. So We do. It, it's essentially just the American version. Yeah. Right. So what's your favorite thing that's happened over the past year in terms of making the show? I suppose it would probably be our time together. Aww. I'm serious. Our our time in the studio, mm-hmm. time in our, our pillow fort our that we sweet build, blanket fort. Our, se- our sweet blanket fort that we build, and like all the weird random paths that we go down. Hmm. You know? Yeah. You remember, remember when we first watched that first episode of Paw Patrol? I was going to say, get, coming to know Paw Patrol and then at first sort of rejecting it because I thought, you know, this is just a silly sitcom and then re- recognizing... You know, the layers Mm -hmm. that it had. And I think that's sort of the problem of accessibility is that it's, you know, not all of Paw Patrol is right there on the surface. And I think today's TV viewers really expect a level of accessibility that maybe, you know, Paw Patrol demands a little bit more. Yeah. From viewers. I agree. Um, Both in terms of just, you know, understanding the conceit. And and their casting is a little hard for pe- middle America right. to grab onto. And it's like a heavy Terrence, continuity show yeah, if you Terrence just drop can, it in the I middle. Mean, Terrence Stamp, really? No one's going to be like, I mean, we would, but I feel like, you know, average. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird because I like the show so much, but sometimes it just feels like a show that I would have made up just for me. Yeah. I feel that way too sometimes. It's like too perfect, you know? Like yeah. it plays to my personal sensibilities too much. Uh, I think one of my favorite things is discovering some cocktails that I never would have had and oh. that I truly love now. Do you have a favorite cocktail? That we've done over the past year? Yes. I, or one that we haven't done, I guess. Um, you know, I'm hesitant to say sidecars because they've apparently become hipster popular now, but I really loved our sidecars. I loved the Jack Rose, I think, is the one that... Um, well, that's the most hipster of all because no one knows no about one Jack drinks Rose. that. Remember that article I posted? My it friend was like, Sarah actually went to some hipster bar in L.A. and ordered one. And, she, and the guy was like, I've never I've never made one of these. Yeah. Um, well, clearly people and bartenders across the country are not up on their David Embury. Well, I will tell you this. I was in the liquor store yesterday and uh, the Applejack has gone up by five bucks on both qualities. It's not 20 bucks for the shitty quality. Since we did our podcast? Uh, I don't know. Coincidence? I think probably an inverse coincidence. If there were increased demand, they would probably be making more. But uh, yeah. So I I think discovering those, I think watching movies with you, because I think, um, you know, I've seen a lot of movies and you sort of have a hit or miss movie history and Mm. sort of watching you see some movies for the first time and is really fun. I will say we have seen a lot of special films together. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I feel like a lot. I feel like we in the coming year we might try and watch more good movies, not necessarily for the show, but, but for ourselves, just to sort of clear the palette and reset the old movieometer. Let me let me ask you this: Have you had a favorite movie that we've watched, or a favorite bad movie that we've watched? Oh, together? that's a good question. Let me think. Um, I mean, in terms of bad movies, yeah, I think Death, Death Wish Three. It really resonated with you. I think was just so, you know, I had seen Death Wish 1. I hadn't seen Death Wish 2. Um, <laughs> well, maybe that's your problem with it. No. No. That was not. <laughs> not at all. But it was just so of a piece and so 80s and so, 
like the production values were pretty bad, but yep. also just the story made no sense. And then, as you and I have discussed many times, the ethos of the movie was just so repugnant. Uh, to you, I thought it was hilarious. Well, that's because you believe in solving all problems with violence. It's true. It's true. I do. Um, so there is that. Uh, I don't know. How about you? Favorite movie? Or just a favorite movie memory from the previous year. Oh, man. Um, well, I've appreciated I really liked watching Wolf with you. That was, um, if only to discover the Spader performance. If I told you that, that I think I've been talking enough on the internet about James Spader and on Twitter and Facebook that now... A Spader um, bot following you? Well, yes, actually. Mm. There is one that's following me on Tumblr. And um, I, on Facebook earlier, I got a uh, an ad for free score quotes uh episodes of the blacklist and i was like you know uh, that is one spader vehicle i do not want to see him in yeah that i don't that show just doesn't do it for me um i've also i think our poseidon adventure was a very that was yes uh because i had seen it but it had been quite quite some time since i had seen it and i think you know just in general and this is me but we've watched so many movies from the 70s and i love the 70s so much and yep. how and again today we've got a movie from the 70s that has some very 70s elements to it indeed it such does such as oliver reed being sexy. a leading man or sexy right yeah. um that so yeah that's fun and you know uh, meeting uh, listeners like i really like that people like the show and i like that we've like get back we, to us and we have fans, our sort of yeah super fans amber and dania right and caleb and uh, sarah and josh and all of other matt and all of our other Laura. regular yeah all of our regular super fans it's really great that you're out there and you're telling people and occasionally someone listens to the show and it's nice yeah all right, so let's talk about this burnt offerings movie uh, that we watched. Okay. So have you 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 had a well before we do that you've had a couple more sips of your fuzzy navel. I have. Has it gotten better or worse? Still tastes like tang. Okay. Although I tell Fair you, enough. I tell you, space missions would be a lot more interesting if they were drinking this. Oh, space missions. Yeah. I thought you said specimens for a second. I was like, what? What? No. There's no Chris Bar now. All right. So burnt offerings from 1976. Burnt offerings. Starring Karen in Black. Yes, starring Karen Black and her unborn child. Oliver Reed. I put Burgess Meredith because he's the best part God, of this movie. God, he is movie. far and away the best <laughs> part of this movie. Betty and Betty Davis. Davis. But yeah. we'll talk about that later. Yeah. But Burgess Meredith is – and they tease you. That's the worst part is Burgess Meredith – well, start the movie. Start telling us about the movie. Mm. Very heavy on the peach. I think it should be like a two-to-one ratio, like two orange juices to one. Well, except that would barely be a cocktail because peach schnapps is only like – it's like wine. Basically. Okay, sorry. Um, so the movie starts with Oliver Reed and his wife, Karen Black. Yeah. And, and let's back son. up and say that this is ostensibly a horror movie that, as we tell you the story of it, it will bear some striking resemblances to several other uh, horror later stories. Horror well, stories. some are later, some are earlier. All right, so uh, Oliver Reed and Karen Black play husband and wife. They are driving up with their son, who, who cares... His name is like Danny or something. No, it's not Danny, but it might as well <laughs> Davey. be. Davy. Right. Davy. If it were Danny, it'd Damien. be. Damien. If it were Danny, it would be a completely different movie that is in no <laughs> way exactly like. Well, no, I'm saying like Danny Torrance. No, I know. I'm saying, or like okay. the kid from The Omen. Anyway, so they're driving up. They're going to um, maybe possibly rent, not mm-hmm. rent, I'm sorry, take care of this mansion in the country right. for a summer while sort the owners. Dilapidated plantation style like, house. Yeah, very much so. They're thinking about doing it. They meet the family. All the while they, by the way, are being stalked by the most Jaws-esque music. For like the first three minutes of this movie, it's nothing but... They're in like a... a, They're like in a station wagon of some kind driving up. And every time the car passes, it's like... 
I like the sta- station wagon was also one of my favorite characters. I think the station wagon sort of had a, a quiet nobility. Mm-hmm. Like it's like there's like a lot yeah. of that. And um, so they get to the house. They meet the family that's living there, which is an elderly uh, brother and sister and their gardener. Or housekeeper. Right. The gardener, played by Dub Taylor, who I always think is Strother Martin, because I get those guys confused constantly. Yeah. So they... Dub Taylor, who you may remember as uh, C.W. Moss's father in Bonnie and Clyde. Yes. So they take a uh, little journey around the house. Uh, Karen Black's character, Marion, falls in love with the house and mm-hmm. is like, this place is beautiful. Let's Instantly do this. Instantly and passionately yeah. in love with this house. Um, Oliver Reed's character, Tim... Hems Bill. and Hawes. Bill. Right. William. Yes. Billy. Uh, kind of hems and haws about it, and he's like more skeptical. He talks to the sister, and is like, you know, this, this, they offer them an incredible. It's nine hundred dollars for the entire summer; they can rent it, and yeah. it's yours to take care of it. Right. Yeah, there's Not only even one stipulation. It. Yeah, and there's one stipulation, and this happens right as Burgess Meredith in a wheelchair is wheeled down the stairs, mm-hmm. queening it up. Well, the, God yeah, bless him. Well, first, before we get to Burgess, Meredith, okay. the one stipulation is that the couple. Uh, understand that they are living with uh, the brother and sister's mother who is in the attic has a room in the attic and she doesn't come out and all you need to do is bring her a tray three times a day and that's it and she's like made us both think of cold comfort 90 or didn't they say she's like a 90 year old woman 85 like she's 60 so uh they talk about it the family does they decide to do it and then Mm -hmm. they move in uh like probably like a week later so let's discuss burgess meredith because you I'm not exaggerating when I say he's the best part of this movie, right? No, you're not. I wrote in my notes, MVP for this movie goes to Burgess Meredith. And he has a total of, like, what, three minutes in the movie? Probably, collectively, yeah. yeah. Uh, But he comes down, and he is an incredibly demonstrative and uh, effeminate, (laughs) uh, clearly indicated and meant to be some sort of homosexual, also uh, possibly interested in the couple's 12-year-old son. No, I think it was meant to be more like he was a kitty, like kitty diddler. Like a kitty diddler, yeah. But he was also very sort of, like just sort of super queeny and very interested in their lovely 12-year-old son. Well, there's this one bit where he goes, how old is your child, eight or nine? And then Karen Black is like, oh, he's Danny or Davey or whatever his name is, is 12. And then he goes, 12. He's fine. He's just fine. That's yeah. what he says. Oh, wait, and we forgot. Uh, the, the part of the deal with taking care of the house is uh, the woman says, the house takes care of itself, but you've got to love this house the way my brother and I do. Can you promise that? And so Karen In a sort Black, of really weird point blank, you must love this house the way my brother and I do. Like, they almost needed a camera to, like, go up and, like, zoom into their faces while they were saying it slowly so that yeah. you would get it even more. Yeah. It would seem oh, and at one point she says, this house is our mother. She says, it's our mother. Yeah, they agree. Brother and sister go away for the summer, and Marion and Billy and Davy or Davis, whatever his name is, Daniel. Mm-hmm. And by the way, then Burgess Meredith queens out of the movie, and we never see him again. <laughs> Until, well. We don't see him. There's a voiceover oh, yeah, you're at right. the end. There's a voiceover at the end. So they move into the house. It's really gross and dusty. There's like some, uh, a bunch of dead, rotted plants. Right, there's a greenhouse with dead the, plants uh, in it. Was it a greenhouse? It seemed more like a veranda or like a covered porch. Eh, whatever. I think it was 6-1. So, so, you know, they're sitting here they're like, well, what are we going to do? We're going to clean up the house. Oh, I'm sorry. We forgot my favorite part, Burgess Meredith part, is when he's walking, watching through the window, staring creepily at their 12-year-old boy, <laughs> and the kid falls off like a jungle gym, and everybody's like, oh, is he okay? And he spills a little blood. He, he gets cut. Yeah, he has a scrape knee. Um, and Burgess Meredith just says, You'd better wash off his poor little cuts. <laughs> what are you doing with that plant? <laughs> um, 
So the family moves in. They start cleaning up. Uh, Karen Black is really invested in keeping it. Like she's like, you know, doing some major. And this is the next day. And we notice that in one of the dead plants, a little flower has started to grow. Huh. Huh. So Karen Black starts cleaning. Like she's like vacuuming the stairs. She's dusting everything. Uh, I guess Oliver Reed's character is just like drinking beer on the couch. Like I don't know what he was doing. Well, no, he was. They, first of all, they bring Betty Davis back. With oh, them. right, because their aunt she, Elizabeth is going to move yeah, in with them. She is. Uh, she is Oliver Reed's elderly aunt. Um, and if I were to describe, I was trying to describe Betty Davis's performance in this movie to Kate yesterday, but it's like, you know, have you ever left a job? Right? Yes, I've done that. You have left a job, uh, or has someone ever left a job that you worked at, mm-hmm. and then? Like a couple months later, just come back to sort of hang out or like when you go to college and you come back to school, to your high school, but you're, you know, the rules don't apply to you and you're not there to take classes. Because you're Betty fucking Davis. <laughs> they, they don't apply to you. You're just sort of there to look at things and you can like, you know, bitch and moan about it. That's sort of what Betty Davis feels like, that she just sort of showed up on the set and is like snarking on these people who are trying to make a movie around her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's just like, and it's hilarious because she's, her character is meant to be sort of this bitchy old woman anyhow. Yeah. Uh, but she's just like, it's really, and, and by the way, not to spoil anything, her character has no arc whatsoever. She Mm-mm. just eventually dies. Mm-mm. Spoilers. But her whole purpose in the movie, I think, is to be on the poster to say, and Betty Davis. Yeah. And it, and she clearly is acting that way in the movie because she's just sitting, walking around, talking shit to people and it's it's hilarious yeah um, so she um oliver reed goes to get his aunt elizabeth who's played by betty davis and she starts hanging out with the kid they're like you know running around all day like doing like fun stuff together mm-hmm. marion is cleaning and yeah, karen then- black finds a note too with the keys in it mm-hmm. it says enjoy the house uh, and don't worry about anything yeah so they all start living there. It seems very. They get the house cleaned up. Everything is beautiful. Like they are like abnormally abnormal, abnormally obsessed with this house. Mm-hmm. Like, did you notice that? Like, they're like, it's so beautiful. Well, Karen Black certainly is. Yeah, uh, you know, and she says things. She tells people that the upstairs are off limits to anyone but her. Right, because she goes up to meet the old she's woman. She's going to go feed the old lady, the grandmother right. or the mother rather, in the attic, and uh, you know she starts telling people that she's always taking a nap and that they're off limits and that she doesn't like strangers right. and like all this stuff. She starts spending a lot of time up there. Also, none of the clocks in the house is working. Yeah, none of the clocks work. Things, you know, things start to pass by, and then weird stuff starts to happen. Hmm. hmm. Well, Oliver Reed then they're opening champagne that night. Mm-hmm. And Oliver Reed cuts his finger mm-hmm. while uh, while opening the bottle of champagne. Yeah. And at the same time, uh, the lights come on in another part of the house, right? Where, in a pantry where they in a pantry where they had previously not worked, hadn't been working. So, by the way, if you haven't gotten the ham-fisted metaphor like that by now, uh, you're way smarter than these characters, but not anyone else who's seen the movie. Which is that when these characters bleed, the house sucks their force from them, or like when force. they hurt themselves or something, yeah. right? So a lot of weird things start happening. Marion's hair starts going gray. There's a scene where Oliver Davis is playing in the pool with their son. And Oliver Reed. Who the fuck is Oliver Davis? Well, Davis is the name of the kid or Davey or Daniel or whatever. Yeah. The kid who I give two shits about. The kid and his dad are playing in who the pool. Who is totally not Danny Torrance. And by the way, if you're sensing a similarity to a certain other movie in which a family go and become caretakers <laughs> of a house for a short period of time and then are driven mad by a house, and you're perhaps, not alone in making perhaps, that observation. Perhaps the dad starts going a little crazy. 
At which point, they clean out the pool, they refill it with uh, new water because it was all gross and filled with mildew and stuff. Uh, they're playing in it for the first time. Oliver Reed's character finds some glasses at the bottom of the mm-hmm. pool and puts them on. And as soon as he puts them on, he like he uh, decides to like chase his son around the pool. And it starts out like a cute little like father, right. like, I'm a monster, I'm going to come get you. And then he just starts to actively like, trying try to, to drown, drown the, the kid. kid. Right. And Betty Davis is freaking out on the sidelines, being like, eh, what are you doing? What are you, what are you doing? doing? And eventually, the kid... Betty Davis does not sound like Maggie Smith. And, I'm, you know, I would love to see the movies that you see while we're watching the movies <laughs> that have Fred Gwynn and Catherine Hepburn and, uh, and some sort of Mad- Maggie Smith version of Betty Davis in it. Um, so the kid swims down to the bottom of the pool when he's being ducked under, grabs some goggles that he'd been wearing previously, and smacks his dad. Punches his dad right in the nose. And gets away that way. And the dad's and, got, like, a bloody nose. So... That was weird, and that happened. Right. Point being, Dad is now bleeding in the pool. Dun, dun. Dump, dump, dump. Oh, hey, also, I wanted to mention this, and this is a little bit off, but I liked this movie, and this is one thing that I think they sort of did in the 70s and don't do now. They didn't force Oliver Reed to do some shitty American accent. We just accepted that an English person could be married to Karen Black. Yeah, I like that a lot, too. Like, why don't movies do that now? Why do they have to force, like, Ewan McGregor to do some sort of shitty American accent Mm. or something? You know, or vice versa, Peter Dinklage. Yeah. So uh, a lot of other things start happening. Their marriage starts becoming more distant and more cold. Uh, Oliver Reed's character starts having these nightmares well, they go flashbacks. Out into the, well, first, though, they go out into the woods, he and his son. This is before the pool, I think. No, it's after the pool. Oh, it is? Okay. <laughs> and they're sort of cutting through the brush looking for Oh, I'm sorry. Of... And then after Oliver Reed cuts his nose, the pool, like, right. regenerates itself. and yeah. gets, like, the cracks in the pavement and everything just get all, like, smoothed The best way to clear Pond scum ever. Oh, and I wanted to make a note about the house because the house is really weird in that the front part of the house and is, the interiors this, are is all... sort of a plantation style Victorian. And then the back is clearly like mission style. Yeah, because the, the tiles are like the, the shingle well, like, like, yeah, and the, the adobe like well, walls. Yeah, and you've got Spanish tiles. Yeah. and Spanish tiles. Right. Yeah. Plantation in the front, mission in the back, which is the strangest mullet ever. <laughs> I think it, they clearly just filmed both sets on two different sets I, and, like, yeah. connected them. Anyway, so they're out in the woods one day. They find a graveyard. Mm-hmm. Well, it, and how do we know that they found a graveyard? Because the kid goes, hey, look, it's a graveyard. <laughs> it's a graveyard. <laughs> Probably my favorite line in the movie. The kid just goes, hey, look, it's a graveyard. Hey, look, it's Freddy Krueger. And they discover that the family, the Allardyces, mm-hmm. that uh, gave the house to them, um, there's a bunch of graves, and they're all Allardyces, but there's none past 1890 or so. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. By the way, did that go anywhere? I don't... I think it's the implication at the end. Uh, okay. I don't know. Um, so... And also a weird lingering shot of a rusty tricycle for some reason. Yeah, there's a lot of, lot of that. So anyways, the, the dad starts having nightmares and uh, callbacks to apparently his mother's funeral, where the chauffeur, car- like... There are flashbacks to a funeral where there's this really creepy chauffeur guy who starts giving him like he starts waking up in a cold sweat. Karen Black starts going gray. Well, and previously, while they were in the swimming pool, Karen Black had opened a weird old music box and gotten somehow hypnotized by this music box and started staring at a bunch of photos, little cameo photos that suspiciously we can't see, but that we're told the old lady is obsessed with collecting photos. And pictures. Yeah. Uh, So Betty Davis starts painting pictures of the house, like almost obsessively. 
So a lot of a lot of weird stuff starts happening. Uh, at one point, their marriage starts to cool. Uh, he comes onto her in a pool, and she's like, "No." And this, by the way, the punching of Oliver Reed and him coming on to her—that's why they have no roughhousing signs at swimming pools. Is <laughs> because of dangerous shit like this. So Marion especially starts to become distant. Uh, she spends a lot of time in the attic with Mrs. Allardyce. Her hair starts going gray. Mm-hmm. And um, Oliver Reed keeps having his weird dreams about his mother's funeral. Yeah. And the and the creepy limo driver who was at the, his mother's funeral. Yeah. And uh, Betty Davis starts getting more tired. Uh, she's not the rambunctious old woman that she was. Like, she was very spry, yeah. very, like, I'll do whatever I want. I'm going to learn how to drive this summer again. Awesome. When they were... When he was trying to have sex with her out on the lawn near the pool. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> didn't you get this? Like, first of all, they're doing And she's clearly not wanting to, so he stops. But, like, they keep cutting up to the house. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, with there's a big red light in the attic room where supposedly the Mrs. Allardyce well, lives. No, she's into it until she sees the right, red until light. She sees, and it's like, oh, honey, not now. The house is watching. <laughs> And then she re- and then after it's all over, she runs back up and stairs to get to her music box because it's like, oh, music box, you're the only one who really understands me. Yes, yes. And Oliver Reed is just like on the grass, going, "Fuck, I almost had it." Right. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, as you said, Betty Davis is getting uh, older and creepier. There's a little bit of shock of white in Karen Black's hair, but at the same time, the plants are regrowing in the. The house is just starting house. to look amazing. Like yeah. it's less dusty and dim and everything. And Betty Davis insists that she wants to go upstairs and meet the old lady. And uh, every time she tries to go up there, and Karen Black is like, "No, no, no, no." So cut to one night when Oliver Reed's having a nightmare. He mm. wakes up and all of a sudden sniffs the air, and he knows that something is off. And he runs to Danny's room or Davy or Davy, right? And mm. he's like, "Davy," and tries to open the door, can't. So well, he, this was, but this was after. This, hold on, but before this happened, he had been looking out the window and saw the hearse, the hearse pull That's up, right. hearse from his dream pull up in the drive, and the creepy limousine driver with the incredibly huge, uh, the man who laughed smile, yeah, sort of Conrad Veidt smile, like creepily look up at the house. Right. So he gets up, he runs to Davy's room, and then the clocks all start working. Kicks it in, yeah, kicks it in because he can't, um, he can't get in. And uh, notices that the gas heater in Davy's room, or the what gas something, but it's the middle of summer, so I wasn't sure why they had a heater on. Anyway, it's been leaking gas, and so he picks up Davy, like kicks through a window and sticks Davy outside so he can breathe the fresh air. At this point, uh, his wife Marion runs in and is like, "What's wrong?" And then he's like, "Gas." Gas malfunction, damned thing. Right, and they sort of hold him out the window to get air. And then the kid wakes up, and then later, uh, Karen Black is talking to Betty Davis and mm-hmm. is like... What she, happened, be- what happened? And Betty Davis admits that she put a blanket, a blanket on, him on him. Because it was cold. Because she thought he looked cold. July. And Karen Black says, well, you were with him in the Did, room? Right. Did you turn on the gas and forget it? And Betty Davis is like, I don't forget things. Okay, Because she's Wind. Catherine Hepburn now. <laughs> and uh, then Karen Black is like, well, he never sleeps with his door closed. You close the door. And she's like, I did not. And they get into like a little bitch fight. And then she, Betty Davis goes upstairs, starts crying. And then when uh, Oliver Reed comes home, he's, you know, talks to her. And she's like, your wife is so mean to me. You should have heard the hurtful things that she said. Yeah, I mean, and if it sounds like this movie's dragging a little bit, it's, it's because this is the it, part where the movie's dragging. This is where the movie drags. Uh, Oliver Reed then sort of sneaks in. It, it, it involves a series of uh, too many attempts by Oliver Reed and Betty Davis to sneak upstairs and see the old lady that are thwarted by Karen Black. By the way, we haven't mentioned that Karen Black 
is wearing what are really obviously maternity clothes at this, in this movie. And it is because, well, it's not only like that, it's like smocks yeah. and such, which you could get away with because there was a brief fashion trend in 1976, I suspect, because I have pictures of my mom wearing smocks and such for this kind of smock. But looking at it today, the first thing you would think is, is she wearing maternity clothes? And it's, it turns out that she was pregnant during yeah. the film. That and then. Which made the pool scene very interesting. That and a full three quarters of the angles in this movie are from waist level or below. Yep. It's very strange. So, um, yeah. So then, uh, you know, Oliver Reed starts looking at the old lady's photo collection and being puzzled and starts quizzing Karen Black about why are you the only one who has the keys? Did you start? Did you go and wind all of those clocks? And Karen Black said, yes, yes, I wound all of those clocks. And he just he doesn't understand why she's the only one who gets to have the keys. And she's getting super homey. Like she starts right. like doing gardening. She's wearing and... this weird sort of cameo brooch on her neck. And, yeah. And like a, a shawl. It gets very like Susie Homebody. Then the kid breaks a vase that Karen Black had noted when they, noticed when they moved in and said, that vase is worth a lot of money. And Oliver Reed was like, how do you know that? Yeah, and so then she, like, yells at the kid. At the same time, Betty Davis is getting ill. And like, having she's some sort of be- weird episode. She's yeah. gone from being just, like, frail and getting older to getting progressively older to just starting to Seizing. positively, like, freak out. Um, they try and call a doctor, but there's no way that they can get... They, it's busy. Every doctor has a busy Every signal. Every busy signal on the line is it's busy, so... Oliver Reed is like, what the fuck? And Karen Black is like, well, you probably weren't trying. I'll, I'll go try. And she does. And they happen to get a doctor there right, right. when Betty Davis kicks the bucket. Right. And then Oliver, then in a conversation afterward, Oliver Reed is like, I think you're becoming too close to this house. Karen Black says, yeah, this house is just a lot more than I thought it was going to be. And he questions her point blank. Were you going to let me die from that gas leak? And then, he's, and then would she says, Would you let no. Danny, the right, kid, right, or Davey? Right, right, right. Um, what would you have done if we hadn't gotten there in time? And then she just keeps talking about the house. She's like, yeah. the house is responsible. And then he says, are you trying to tell me that the house is responsible? And the rest of us are like, yes, that is what she is saying. Have yes. you not been paying attention? Why, why haven't you people moved out yet? Yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, Betty Davis's funeral happens, and Mrs. Uh, Oliver Reed doesn't attend. So he comes home, and is, she's making food in her creepy cameo oh, We missed that Betty Davis got killed by the vision of the limo driver shoving a casket in her face. Oh, right. Because, uh, and I don't know if this was gas-related or ghosting. It wasn't really clear, but the creepy limo driver is then in the house and shoves a casket at Betty Davis, and that is how she dies. Yeah, well, she seizes and, like, rolls her eyes back in her head and then dies. Right. So they come home. Karen hadn't attended the funeral. And the Oliver- and she's sitting there eating the old lady's meal that she had prepared. Yeah, so Oliver Reed is like, damn it, Marion, I don't know what's happening to you and they talk and they talk and they talk and at this point all the flowers in the greenhouse are fully in bloom yeah because betty davis has a lot of blood so um and meanwhile karen black has started to dress like what i could only describe while we were watching it as vampire liberace yeah like she's wearing like a a, a house coat that is red and black like but and, satin and long and has and this has like this collar like this like elizabethan d- collar dracula collar yeah to it um, so at one point Oliver Reed gets mad and he says like, well, we're leaving without you. I don't care what you want in the middle of a storm. And so they load up the, he grabs his kid and they get in the station wagon. Right. And he, and he and yells at her and says, that's all you think about is this house. That's all you think about. And she says, someone has to take care of her. So they drive to the edge of the gate. The gate is locked and then a tree collapses in front of the gate and they cannot get over it. 
And a vine grabs his ankle. A vine grabs his ankle, and he falls down, and he hits his head at some point. And at this point, Oliver Reed has full-on crazy face. And yeah. the kid is in the car just freaking out, honking the horn. So then Karen Black shows up, and she's all wet and twisted. She's like, I'll take you guys back to the house. Doctor comes to look at Oliver Reed. He determines that he's gone like completely catatonic and that they need to leave because there's no specialist in town that can take care of him. And then Karen Black's like, don't worry, I got it. So the next day, Oliver Reed is sitting by the poolside while the kid is swimming around in a wheelchair with full-on catatonic crazy face. Karen Black is like, I'm going to go fix lunch and get your towel for you, Danny or Davey. I'm going to go upstairs and talk to Music Box. And so we'll decide what we're making for dinner. While she's Music doing Box that. Box wants tuna salad. I want, I want chicken salad. While they're doing that, Davey is out there with his, his, his uh, dad and just like, his dad isn't talking to him and he's like... Hey, Dad, I, I learned how to swim in the deep end. I'll show you. <laughs> Dad just like... And goes out into the deep end, and as he's swimming, the water starts churning violently. Right. And he, he starts drowning, and he's like, help me, Dad. And so you <laughs> cut to a close-up on Oliver Reed's face. Polter Koozie is what it was. Where he's like, he's he's just like straining and like doing his best. Yeah, like, I must This move. is like full on, they told Oliver Reed, just give me your... You're strain. It, it, it honestly, it looks like he's trying to take a crap. <laughs> it does. So one little by little, he moves a finger and then another finger, and he's like really straining. At the same time, Karen Black is in Danny's room upstairs, Davy, whatever, and looks out and totally sees not Danny Torrance. That I don't Davey know why you is think drowning that. in the deep end and goes, "No, Danny, no!" She tries to leave to go save him, but the door slams itself shut. So she can't get out. What, what? Why? So she, I forget what she does. She like climbs out a window or something. Yeah. And uh, Oliver Reed falls. He eventually works up enough momentum to sort of lurch out of, the, out of wheelchair. the wheelchair and starts crawling towards the pool, going, Davy. And then Karen Reed shows up. Karen Reed. Karen Black shows up in time to jump into the water, save their Pull kid. Pull him out. And then, and then Oliver Reed is like, we are leaving this house today. And she's like, yeah, we are. So they do. They're in the house. They pile everything into the car. And they're ready to go. They get ready to pull out. And, and Karen then, Black is like, I didn't say goodbye to the old lady. Mrs. Allardyce, I need to tell her where we're going. And all of her This old lady who, by the way, we haven't seen the entire movie in the most obvious and Oliver, suspicious plot yeah, device Oliver ever. Oliver Reed gives her this bitch please look. Yeah. <laughs> that is wonderful. And she's like, well, I'll just be a minute. So she runs into the house. She like looks at the centerpiece in the main well, then hall. Then we cut back outside. Goes upstairs. That's all we see. Cut back outside. It's clearly been a while. Oliver Reed's like, Danny or Davey, whatever. Hold on. I'm just going to step in for a second. He goes upstairs. Can't find her. No. Keeps calling Mary. knocks on the Marian. door to Ms. Allardyce's suite. Goes up there. Finally gets into Mrs. Allardyce's. No, no. He knocks on the door. And then the door pops open for him. He doesn't have to try and force oh. it open. Yeah. So then he goes into the inner suite and he sees this old lady looking outside Sitting the in a rocking chair with his back to her. Totally not like in Psycho. And says like, hey, Mrs. Allardyce, like, pardon me. You know, did you see Marion? She said she was coming up here to see you. She like, doesn't respond. And he's like, I'm talking to you. Answer me. Answer, answer me. Answer me. And then he turns around and. It's Karen Black. What? No! Who's become like an old lady in yeah. the last 10 Apparently seconds, the apparently. ghost of the house. Surprising absolutely no one uh, has been possessing, has been possessing Karen, Karen Black, Black or something. Movie. I don't know. Uh, then the the house completely implo- starts to implode on him itself. Oliver Reed, since we've learned at the beginning of the movie, he can dive. <laughs> and by dive, oh, I yeah, mean the give house, the most depressing the house belly starts, flop. Like, the shingles on the house start falling right. off and like they start like simultaneously regenerating themselves. So Oliver Reed dives head first. Because Karen Black looks at him and goes, we've been waiting for you, William, or right. whatever. And so he goes, ah! And <laughs> 
dives out of the window of the very top attic of the house, lands on the station <laughs> lands wagon. Lands on the station wagon, and his bloody bursts. head, head uh, cut, bursts through the windshield in front of his child, uh, and who, he is dead. Who gets out and starts to proceed to freak the fuck out. Freak the fuck out, looking up at the chimney, and the Which chimney... Which is collapsing very chimney, slowly. <laughs> very slowly tumbles on the world's slowest child. We already know he's injury prone. So the kid is buried by bricks. Yeah. So cut to then it's black. The house. Being so then beautiful. we 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 come we we fade up from black. <laughs> we fade in on a summary shot of the house looking gorgeous. The gardens are in bloom. The fountain is going, and we hear a voiceover of. Uh, Burgess Meredith and his sister talking about the house looks lovely again, just like yes. it always does. Our mother when, looks so beautiful. When, yes, mother looks beautiful, doesn't she? She looks so beautiful. She's so refreshed now. And then they they, they hang a shot the of picture them, of the house right, on the wall. The picture that Betty Davis was painting, or was it a no? no oh, it was just so a at the very beginning of the movie, they look at the photographs of the house on the right, on the there's wall. There's tons of photos. There's tons of them from different eras, and so they hang this one along on the wall along with all the other ones. And it becomes clear that the house has to regenerate every like 10 years or whatever i don't know and that they take a picture of and they put it on the wall caught up to all the photos in the attic with the music box Mm -hmm. and you see all the photos that you saw at the beginning of the film and then the last last three are uh, uh, alva reed and betty davis and and betty davis and then that's where we end all right so kate yes i think we've already covered what our favorite thing in this movie was which is uh burgess meredith Mm -hmm. so really you can watch like the first five minutes of this movie and get everything that's really enjoyable about Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. uh, except for beta so if this movie were a cocktail kate okay what cocktail would it be huh i'm thinking personally Mm -hmm. you give me your verdict first okay so i was going to say that this is and this just just roll with me here Mm -hmm. this is a cocktail that has a i'm sorry it's a movie that has a lot of ingredients Mm mm-hmm you know, it's got a lot going on mm-hmm. and a lot of horror tropes that are, you know, haunted house, like, you know, weird vampiristic kind of stuff, like being possessed, creepy kid, like all of that. So there's a lot of elements going on here. And um, so I'm thinking it would be a cocktail that had a lot of booze in it, a mm-hmm. lot of parts to it. So I'm thinking maybe a Long Island iced tea because, like, the end result makes no sense, but it's kind of fun watching anyway. See, to me, I didn't get the much as much joy out of this movie to you. To me, it was a drink that... Uh, it would be a drink that had promise, but mm. that for some reason had something dead inside of it. So I was thinking more of like a gin and tonic, but a gin and tonic that you made and forgot about and left on the coffee table overnight. <laughs> and then it's the next day. So the tonic water is all flat and the lemon is wilted. I mean, the lime is wilted. Yeah. It's like that. It's okay. like it's yeah. like a flat gin and tonic. That That's that's fair. And then you have to spizzle it around, but the only thing you have is a toothpick that was left in some barbecue on a plate, and you have to... I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. You can cut that out. <laughs> uh, and and uh, the uh, the Fuzzy Navel, if it were a movie, what movie would it be? Like a real movie or a movie that I'm making up? Either one. It's very sweet. It is. Almost disgustingly Disgustingly so. sweet. You and I may be thinking of the same movie. What are you thinking of? I'm thinking it's disgustingly sweet, and it's kind of uh, 80s-ish. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with, like, it has to be some sort of shitty John Hughes movie. Yep. Okay. I'm going with Curly Sue. That works. I wouldn't have thought of that. So, well, you have to, so you're, you're agreeing with my Curly Sue assessment? Uh, well, it seems better than what I was going to say. say? Um, it's kind of overly sweet and hackneyed, so I was going to go with The Notebook. but Also true. But, it's, but it has that 80s flavor you got to get into. It does. It does. Yeah. All right. So some contact information for you folks who want to get up with us. 
Again, thanks for the year of listening to us. We've been really enjoyed meeting you guys virtually Woo! over intertubes and having some drinks with you. You can get up with us at, at PNTCast on Twitter. We're pntcast.tumblr.com on Tumblr. If you search for us on Facebook, we prefer not to. And our website is pntcast.wordpress.com. Our email is pntcast at gmail.com. <sighs> and you can get us on iTunes and Stitcher, and we would really, really love a review on either iTunes or Stitcher because it's one of those ways that we know that you're listening to us. Much like the house in this movie only lives on the blood of the people that inhabit it, this podcast and Josh and I only live off of your praise. Right. And I'm not going to do, you know, like NPR and have a pledge drive and insinuate that if you don't write an iTunes review, then Pop Patrol will get canceled. Because I think that would be a really despicable thing to do to a wonderful program. Yeah, me too. But don't don't force us. Don't make us go there. Don't make us go there. All right. Hey, have you liked doing this show for the last year? Uh, it has been a very interesting experience. <laughs> um. <laughs> that is what you say at a job exit interview when you don't want to talk about all of the horrible things about the job you're leaving. No, I just meant well, like the experiments in sound design and working and like how some things just sound totally horrible when you record them in a certain way. I don't know. It's been fun. I really mm-hmm. have enjoyed it. It's... Um, I, it's it's something I enjoy telling people about. Oh, I hey, do. before I forget, in our uh, we we talked about Eddie Murphy a lot on the show. Mm-hmm. We talked about the Shrek room a few weeks ago. Uh, yeah, a while ago. Yeah, there is. I found pictures of the Shrek room, <laughs> so we're going to put those in the show notes of the room in Eddie Murphy's Sacramento mansion that he is trying to sell. That is, the room is entirely themed around Shrek and Donkey. Uh, second. <sighs> On Netflix this month, uh, Delirious is on Netflix this month. So if you can put up with the first 10 minutes of the movie being incredibly uh, homophobic, of the stand-up act being incredibly homophobic, although occasionally funny, uh, and and the kind of not necessarily forward-looking views on women that you would associate with a 23-year-old man, uh, you will be watching some of the funniest stand-up ever done, I think. Pretty much. Yeah, so check out Delirious on Netflix. Uh, it is a masterpiece, especially when you consider that the kid is 23 fucking years old when he's doing that. Yep. That's, that's like Orson Welles of stand-up comedy. Yep. It really is. Yeah, I don't think I had anything else. What did you think of the uh, the Fuzzy Navel? Too sweet. Yeah, way too sweet. It needs vodka or soda or something to cut it. Yeah. What are we going to drink next week? Next week? Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about actually diving into the Cosmo. All right. And I think next week we're going to watch The Car from 1977, starring Wait. James Brolin. Wait, The Car? That's mm-hmm. it? The Car. It's uh, in another movie that is eerily similar to a Stephen King story. Uh, it is about a sentient and yet uh, possibly murderous vehicle. Did we mention that Stephen King has said that Burnt yeah, Offerings is one of his favorite movies? But, well, that the book was an inspiration for The Shining, that he freely admits that uh, that the book was an inspiration. So I don't think it's so much a ripoff. Eh, you know, the line between homage uh, and theft is, what, what's the line they say? Bad artists uh, bad artists do homage, good artists steal? Something, something like, like that. that. I don't know. Um, but yeah. All right. Well, here's to another year of episodes. No. All right. We've really enjoyed spending time with you over the past year. We do. We do indeed. As always, for Kate, I am Josh. And for Josh, I'm Kate. And we hope to see you again next week. Thank you for listening this whole year. (laughs) 